Hello, welcome back to not just any edition of the Late Late Capitalism Show, but what many are calling the definitive edition of the Late Late Capitalism Show, with more bugs and glitches and audio miscues and all sorts and manner of goofs and gaffs than you can shake a stick at. We You've have, already heard us. Yeah, like we have the finest uh, programmers uh, all over the world uh, working 30-hour days, uh, we have uh, specifically inhibited them from ever seeing, talking to, or even texting their families in order to, to maximize uh, the amount of polygons we could shove into this episode. Uh, which yeah, is usually, stuff. usually when I talk to a girl, I'm like, yo, hey girl, you want to know how big my dialogue script is? It's fucking huge, baby. It's, uh, for those of you that aren't aware, we're all gamers here. Megan, huge gamer. Chance, huge Correct. gamer. Yeah, Dean oh. absolutely loves Megan, it. Megan, me. Can you let uh, us know what what is your favorite Grand Theft Auto character? Could you just like list some oh, names of Grand Theft yes. Auto characters? Yeah, or, or like describe them. Describe yeah, them and yeah, and like who, who they are, like what they look like. That okay, there's definitely like at least an elderly person because I've heard a lot of jokes about hitting grandmas with the car in the game. <laughs> so I do. Okay, there's, there's you've heard a lot of jokes about okay. that, Grandma. Yeah. Um, what kind of jokes? Grandma NPC. Um, I think there's like a, a sex worker character who does a little shimmy when they walk. People make <laughs> okay. fun of oh, yes. walk on Yeah, TikTok. that is true. That, that okay. is the You're sex listing worker NPCs, NPCs, though. I need characters. I need. Yeah, yeah. these are um, non playable. Well, characters. okay, duh. There's the driver, right? So, <laughs> the driver. Ryan That's Gosling. Right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Um, there's, you know, people that live in this, the town. The town. You could probably yes. play with them as yeah. well. Ben Affleck's the town. That's You're cool. describing Stardew Valley again. Yeah. <laughs> Damn it. Especially the sex worker NPC slide. <laughs> That's the okay. wizard. So, Megan, have you ever played a Grand Theft Auto game or have you ever seen someone play one? I have this distinct memory of watching someone play it, but the only place I used to watch people play video games as a kid was at a church social on Thursday nights um, where my mom would give me $5 to buy nachos. I was not religious. I just wanted to go because my friends were going. Um, And I feel like I saw Grand Theft Auto there, but I obviously didn't because it was a church Thing. You never know. So I don't know where I saw it, but somewhere. You probably saw it in Welland uh, at one of the guys' houses. But I feel like, like it was, I was a morning. youth. I don't know. Christ has risen. Aw, shit. Here we go again. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, Megan, uh, just so you're aware, because I feel like Dean is probably somewhat aware of what's going on, and Chance will definitely figure it out. But in the early 2000s, there were three primary Grand Theft Auto games that sold, like, legitimately millions and millions of copies, making the company that developed them, like, billions of dollars. And this is not an exaggeration. Like, these were the three three of the most successful properties in video games of all time at that point. And... Like, we're talking 2001, 2004, and 2005. So they obviously have not aged very gracefully, especially when you consider what's out on the market nowadays. Yeah, and just before Dean was born, actually. That's right. Right. (laughs) So the company that published these announced that they were going to make, like, a definitive remastered, like, upgraded edition for the new wave of consoles. And everybody was like, okay, yeah, that's cool. I can't wait to see what it looks like and how it goes. And here's the thing. Like, they already have the base code for the game. So all you're really... All they're really doing is just adding a fresh coat of paint, essentially. That's what everybody, that's what ended up happening. But people thought this was going to be like some big leap forward in innovation. Okay. 
But the issue was, in adding a fresh coat of paint, they somehow made each and every single game in this remastered collection completely unplayable. <laughs> like, to the point where, you know, glitches and bugs, they happen in video games. Sometimes they're either repeatable to where you can generate them by doing the same thing every time, or they're just like random one-offs that happen because you, I don't know, ran into a wall a certain way at a certain time. But like this game, especially San Andreas, the late like that was the last one made. It's the final one in the trilogy is so completely broken to the point where like in cutscenes, players are getting run over with cars. Uh, things are exploding <laughs> randomly. People are falling through the world uh, or just launching into the air. <laughs> one of the all time great. There is an hour long compilation that I've watched twice this week and like cried laughing every single time. There's a mission where you have a forklift. So, yes, you do play as someone who is forklift certified, which is sick. And he cool. he tries to pick up a box and put it in the truck. But if you approach the truck with the box, which is what you have to do in the mission, your forklift just gets launched like 7,000 feet into the air, spinning <laughs> it like a million miles an hour until it explodes and kills you. <laughs> cool. This is a mandatory mission you have to complete. <laughs> and like this is particularly funny because like this is Rockstar Games who like have more money than God. Oh, billions uh, of dollars. And are, are well known uh, for their like insane level of polish. Like they put out Red hmm. Dead 2. Uh, which people were astounded by because your horse's balls shrink if it's cold outside. Mm -hmm. Like that is like the level of detail that these people like. Red Dead Two towards. has hidden conversations that people are still discovering like four years after the game is released. Hmm. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And in order to make this game, they had to like work about a thousand people to their death. Yes. Uh, but you know, it <laughs> was worth hours. it because the horse's balls—they got so small. It's true. And the horse poops and uh, you get to yeah. see people pee. It's awesome. The best thing to keep in mind about the remaster trilogy being such a broken mess uh, is you could splice videos of angry moms talking about how their kids are going to kill each other because they're playing <laughs> GTA with a forklift flying throughout the city yeah. and just like breaking through the walls. I hope I hope that's what kids repeat. I hope that is, isn't like killing sex workers or shooting yeah. their friends. It's like a kid is going to play this game for the first time, the definitive edition and be like, I have to get a forklift and I have to launch myself into space. <laughs> and it's like and this comes about a calendar year after the last big gaming debacle. Also for from another company that has more money than God, also from another company that has like archaic programming work schedules, which is CD Projekt Red, which I'm oh, not yeah. kidding, is a Polish game designer, which just <laughs> seems like one of those things. That's an universe. oxymoron. Yeah, that's made just for me. And they released a little game called Cyberpunk 2077 that had an almost exactly as bad backlash and the same kind of rash of technical issues. And uh, I think that proves to us, alongside the dreadful wave of Hollywood movies, that uh, cultural decay has finally entered the realm of the video game. No. Like, we, I could talk about this for a long time. Uh, like, I think... There is there's a lot of different things going on. There's obviously uh, the the crunch that these companies are plagued by. Uh, there is the uh, the sort of like graphical arms race that has reached mm -hmm. a ceiling to the point mm -hmm. where like it takes so much energy and so much manpower uh, and so much you know processing power to to render these really lifelike, really interesting uh, to look at worlds that. 
because so much energy goes into making them look as realistic as possible, are populated with nothing. Like, there's nothing to do. (laughs) It's just, like, walking around this, like, glossy simulation that, again, falls apart and, like, breaks down constantly because they're, they're striving towards a goal that you can't reach. So rather than making a game, they're... I I don't even know what you can call cyberpunk, honestly. They're making uh 3D screensaver renders, like uh like you know the maze and the yeah. pipes. Uh <laughs> they're doing that. Like it's just to yeah. show off your graphics card. <laughs> but uh the thing is uh, that I think is uh and I think the same thing is happening with movies in a lot of instances, and not every instance, but people are becoming more and more disillusioned by these major AAA titles and mm-hmm. these blockbuster mm-hmm. movies. And therefore, they expect higher quality for the amount of money and the amount of manpower and like ruthlessness that they put into it that any kind of bug gets hyper-critiqued. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm saying that's a good thing. Uh, whereas if you get like an independent game or something and it's buggy, you just like shoot a message to the dev and you're like, yo... <laughs> This, they'll this fix just, it. Yeah, and they'll fix it. Uh, so people are just like, why did I spend $80 on this? And why did you spend, uh, you know, all of your employees' mental health to make this piece of shit? Yeah. Video games are also like the one piece of art where it is expected by your consumer base that the product that you put out will take them 40 to 100 hours to complete. Like they sure, want yeah. an absurd amount of content, uh, which, mm. you know... A, a movie has to deliver like two hours and even two hours is arguably too much. Yeah. 90 uh, minutes, baby. Yeah. 90 minutes. You guys are sick. I yeah, want real I, like gamers are like de- demented, depraved freaks. <laughs> no, you guys are sick for talking about 90 minute movies being great. <laughs> I'm sick of that fucking, uh, sick of it. They thing. don't do it anymore. All these hipsters being like, Ooh, I miss 90 minute movies, 90 minute movies, hot 90. Fuck off. I want like a nine hour epic. Give me Lawrence of Arabia. I, I want to uh, just like wallow in my filth for nine hours. Go watch the Eternals. Have fun. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of which, did you see that Ridley Scott said that modern superhero movies are boring as fuck? Yes. That was Good job, Ridley. <laughs> they are right. Yeah. So two things I want to end off on before we talk about something uh, substantial. First off, nobody asked for rockstar to make these games yeah no one wanted this (laughs) literally nobody was clamoring people people... want the new like a new grand theft auto grand theft auto 6 because rockstar has gotten away with re-releasing grand theft auto 5 on like 10 different consoles (laughs) same thing with skyrim right or exactly or they get around to emulating it if people want to play this game there's like modders who have made like 4k texture assets for free oh yeah and just download on random fucking websites the amount of people in like the GTA fan community that are like, yeah, no, like if it wasn't for modders, I would have stopped playing this 20 year old game 20 years yeah. ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So and, so Rockstar Games, you get this week's fuck you. Yeah. And also, so they have now pulled the game from a number of eShops, not just because of the completely disastrous response and the fact that it barely works, but also because they just didn't renew the license for some of the songs on the soundtrack that you can listen to <laughs> in your car. So... Great job, guys. Uh, now, once again, copyright fraud. Hilarious. There should oh, be no yeah. copyright. But Everyone it is. Do it. it does exist. You are a like multi-billion dollar company, and you could not figure this out. So uh, congrats to you. Thumbs up. I hope GTA 6 has the exact same issues. I can't wait. 
And uh, yeah, no, the cultural decay has finally trickled down to the second last realm, which is video games. And you know we're really fucked when it trickles down to sports and sports somehow become, I don't know, unplayable or just completely miserable, which actually has already started to happen yeah, with NASCAR. Everyone that plays a sport like gets their brain exploded now. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of <laughs> that doesn't impact the spectator. Though. That doesn't okay. impact the consumer. It's when it starts to trickle down the consumer when you know culture is completely destroyed. Yeah, we need trickle down concussions. Yeah, you walk into the stadium with your ticket and they just smash you in the head with a metal bat. So <laughs> that'd be awesome. The same. Yeah, you, you know how much sick. cooler it would be to watch football if you had like a lobotomy? <laughs> Man, I'd start going to sporting events if they just beat me before I went in. That'd be fucking awesome. Yeah, I punish myself by holding my urine as long as I can at the football game because I don't want to go to the public washrooms. And you know what? It really does up my enjoyment. So we are going to discuss something that isn't so much like a structured deep dive or anything, but rather just something that has been on my mind, believe it or not, because of a college paper. Now, normally... Uh, community college paper. It's kind of like, okay, which animal says moo? Which animal says meow? You can do it too. And uh, yeah, like it's fine. It is what it is. But I do have one class where I think the professor hates me because every single assignment, which he's like, yeah, three to five pages ends up being like 10 to 11 of me just finding some kind of thread of like anti-capitalist sentiment and just going ham on it like going insane and we have determined and, uh, that he does hate you for this probably yeah that's fine uh, it's, it's sad because his course is terrible but i love his papers because i can just write about whatever i want yeah you could go full fucking unabomber on him and that's and i honestly at points do uh in minecraft of course but this one was all about international development so i messaged uh dear friend megan and i was like megan you know way more about kind of global development and like ngos than I do. The only NGOs I'm familiar with usually have BI in front of them. That's right. B I N G O. <laughs> that's a bingo joke, That's baby. right. Hell yeah. That's the that's we the are hitting our elderly targets with that joke. <laughs> I'm pretty proud of that one. Uh anyway. We do have a lot of elderly targets, that's for sure. No, old people are not. Uh so I was I started doing some research. Originally, I wanted to be like a real doomer and just cover the Clinton Foundation and like the work they did in Haiti. But I was like, no, he already probably has reported me to like some kind of CSIS <laughs> watch list. So I'm going to go ahead and pick a more neutral target. And in fact, a target that claims to be neutral on all matters. So I started, you know, reading up on Doctors Without Borders. Bum, bum, bum. Go into Except this. Are you they guys familiar with Doctors Without Borders? Uh, First you of all, mean Medicine Sans Frontiers? No, I don't speak the bastard. <laughs> My French is really good. Uh, Doctors Without Borders doesn't sound as unbiased. Uh, like it, it sounds like a group of anarchist uh, doctors to me. Like they would be cool. But that... <laughs> like they're doctors against borders. Like they're just... <laughs> yeah, now that would be a different organization. And of yeah, course, it'd be fucking awesome. So if you aren't familiar, Doctors Without Borders, Médecins Sans Frontières, I'm just going to call it by the English name because that's what I am, uh, was started in 1971 following the Nigerian Civil War. And their no. entire mission statement was, oh, no. we are going to be neutral on every single issue. No. Uh, no political allegiances. We're just going to go into these countries and provide medical treatment. It's no. kind of like taking the Hippocratic Oath on a geopolitical global level. Hmm. So 
since 1971, they have provided, and I'm just using a neutral term, provided services to over 115 countries, including pretty much every single country in Africa, uh, a lot of the global south, including, and I I love seeing this, uh, Bolivia and Venezuela. They were very, those were the first two on their list, which... Interesting. Seems, there's a lot of things where they're kind of giving the game away. Uh, Afghanistan, uh, Beirut. They did list Palestine, which I was impressed by. I was like, okay, that's at least the bare minimum. (laughs) But mind you, it's a French organization, so I feel like that's more kind of just (laughs) anti-Israel than (laughs) pro-Palestine, which respect. (laughs) But they have done all manner of things. In 1999, they were awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. And look, I'm not going to lie to you. There are a few initiatives that they are a part of that are objectively good things. Mm -hmm. Like, for instance, they have a lot of partnerships with like actual like not pharmaceutical companies but like research institutions that exist explicitly to provide uh, medication for like diseases that the west has stopped kind of focusing on so that they can give them for free to people around the world and it's like that's good the fact that they're providing a free medical service is probably a good thing because uh well with the case of ebola in like the sudan uh And Ethiopia, it's like, this is going to kill people without any kind of intervention. And then, of course, uh, you also realize, like, huh, why are a lot of these countries that require their aid (laughs) in this situation to begin with? Huh. And uh, for me, it's it's been a, a, a fine balancing act of being like, is Doctors Without Borders actually good? Or is this just like harm reduction from imperialism? Right, right. And that's that's a question I have been unable to answer. So it's kind of like the U.N., right? Yeah. And it's, that's the thing. Like, it's a very similar kind of setup where it's like, oh, we're completely politically independent, politically neutral and we're operating. But I've also inside the discord posted a couple of interesting articles about some of the issues both inside Doctors Without Borders in terms of staffing and also <laughs> one from Smithsonian Magazine that I think really gives the game away about what they really are. So do you guys want to talk about systemic racism or the Smithsonian article? What I can say before we jump into these articles is I don't know very much about um, Doctors Without Borders. I have not done research into this organization, but um, just the, the field of like global development and NGOs in general is all like essentially after the fact harm reduction like there is not very many systemic issue organizations really and the ones that claim to be like oh we're we're facing the systemic issues like we're we're breaking the cycle of poverty like we said that um and then look what happened with them like they were not telling the truth um but especially with with things like Doctors That Borders, what I've been looking at as you've been talking here is trying to see where their staff comes from, because a big issue mm-hmm. with a lot of NGOs is that you take um, basically doctors and, and other professionals from the global north and then just like pay them or or they do it on a like a semi volunteer basis um, to go do work in the global south instead of training and paying for doctors in the global south. So a lot of these yes. photos they have on their website are of what look to be like people from the global south as the doctors as well. So I'm curious to see like who they hire and pay to do this medical work or if it's all volunteer. Um, but like in in our system of global development where like we have. Pat, like horrible past colonialism and also 
ongoing neo-colonialism where we still take so much money from the global south in resources every year as we've talked about in other episodes on mining and things like that because the global north still controls all of the world's like movement of capital and still extracts the resources from poor countries constantly so we take literally trillions of dollars from poor countries and then we say oh but we've started this charity to then give you health care or give you even like just straight up monetary payments back. But those monetary payments are so small compared to what we actually take from the global south. And also a lot of like international development work is tied aid. Um, So it'll be it'll be Canada saying something like, we'll give you this money, but you have to use it to hire a contractor that's Canadian, which is just so ridiculous because then it's like you're not paying any of the actual contractors in this like country. The money is not staying in this country. You just get a building out of it. And there's like this is not an issue with Talks Without Borders specifically, but there's those other charities that like Mm -hmm. build a school but then they don't hire any staff or like there's they'll there will literally be villages where there's like seven empty school buildings because like they just want to bring like global north children over to do a task. And there's been examples of where they actually build and then take down the same school multiple times just yeah. to give a volunteer experience to like white children from the global north, which is insane. But Catholic, uh, yeah. Catholic mission trips are are rife with that. Yes. Right? Yeah. That's another uh, big issue, too. And then you, you'll see the white saviorism come out, especially now with social media. Yes. Before you would see it a lot where people would be like, yeah, I've traveled the world. And it's like, uh, nah, you went to some poor village and kind of just fucked around and was like, oh, look at I'm eating weird food today. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas now with social media, like you can find hundreds of these posts of like you know these white folks hanging out in different countries uh taking like you know shots of them on a on a beach or like them hanging out with like people in a village and it's like what are you doing there like what are you what are you actually doing there and usually it's just some form of exposure and then the maliciousness comes from the catholic school that's like you're we're gonna teach them about god when in reality it's all white saviorism through and through which comes down to uh what megan was saying about like the idea of extractionism like like even on a on a morale level it's like we need to convert these people that are in a lesser place uh in order to make it so that we have better communication with them and therefore we can get more out of their being or or at least what we can do is benefit from their situation for ourselves um and it's uh like i said it's 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 pretty sickening to watch uh, especially now in the age of social media yes i'm glad you've brought up well megan i'm glad you brought up the thing about staffing and chance i'm glad you mentioned the white savior because i actually have articles on both of those in terms of the staffing now what doctors without borders touts is that they do indeed train uh, a lot of people in the community they're working with to continue the kind of medical treatment after they've left and i couldn't find anything that outright disprove that it's not quite it's not the same thing as building you know seven schools seven times and then not having anybody to staff them it's like Mm -hmm. there are field hospitals that do still operate with the expertise and like the equipment originally installed by doctors without borders Mm -hmm. but i'm gonna refer to the first article here talking about some of the issues that these staff face so This came out in July of 2020, which is a rather auspicious time for any kind of uh, article about systemic racism, given everything that was happening in certainly the United States at the time. So in 
July of 2020, there was a letter that was signed by over 1,000 current and former staffers from Doctors Without Borders that states that the, quote, vaunted organization is built on a mindset of white supremacy that perpetuates racism by the staff in policies and in hiring practices and workplace Mm. culture through the imposition of dehumanizing humanitarian programs by a privileged white minority workforce. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That's damning. One of the signatories is... Uh, Margaret Nguyen, who was a clinical social worker. So they do have a very like wide and varied staff of support workers. So they do try to provide mental health care in addition to, you know, these physical health initiatives. Uh, she joined the group because uh, her daughter, who was a pharmacist already working with them, was like, yeah, you should sign up. So she did. And I'm just getting to the money part here. So she ended up in a hospital run by the aid group in South Sudan. As soon as she arrived with another new arrival, an African immigrant also based in the United States, in the United States they walked into a top office uh, of an official, which was a white woman who was talking to two other white people. Uh, they said hello to her. The woman looked at them, looked back to the white people and just continued talking, which is, oh, you know, wow. obviously not a great start. Uh Nuang continues that you have everything you do being put under a microscope. Everything you do is questioned. It was very traumatizing to hear and see that as someone who comes from Cameroon, uh, this kind of brought back that colonial mentality of never being good enough and just, you know, being completely ignored by the, the quote unquote white savior. And in fact, the president of Doctors Without Borders was asked about this letter by NPR, and this is what he said. So uh, his name is Christophus Christu, and he said, yeah, it's a problematic model. It's the idea of the white savior, the white doctor going and providing assistance to people in Africa, especially little African kids, and it's time for a total revamp. Uh... I don't know if okay, that total what's revamp... The revamp? <laughs> well, you see, he said that they hired a black woman... Uh, as the president of the U.S. Board of Doctors Without Borders. That's Did he actually like, say that? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> like, fucking hell. Okay. Yeah, which is obviously that fixes it. great. Uh, so the woman, Margaret Nuong, went to her daughter afterwards and is like, why did you not tell me about like, all the racism in this organization? She's like, oh, because you wouldn't have gone. And it's like, oh, okay, so everybody just knows this is a thing, but you have to kind of push it aside if you want to do what can still be considered as like essential and positive humanitarian work. So right. That's tremendous. And it also tells me that even if they are training staff to take over and continue the work in this area, like how hard do you think they're training these people? Like, Yeah. Like seems- I, I feel like I, I see that so much of like, Oh, we're going to go in as this Western organization, like fully funded, paid for with professionals do this work. And then we're just going to say that we're going to pass the torch. But like, medical school is a very long process like what are you talking about in how in literally so many organizations even ones about like water and everything it's like okay like training is one thing but like are you committing to like you those doctors are going to train everybody in a full doctorate or like you're gonna pay for them to go to medical school or like what are you talking about i i feel like it's it's very empty promises a lot of the time when they say stuff like that yeah no you're 100 percent correct uh i would like to talk a little bit about how this organization is funded because i think this is interesting i feel like i have so much to say on like the funding of ngos too but yeah you perfect you, you i'm gonna give you some some factors and what they claim and then you can kind of just uh, go wild from there so I have the 2020 financial records. So Doctors Without Borders 
are very proud in, by the fact that they are completely privately funded, so they don't take money from any government industry, or sorry, any government organizations, nor a lot of uh, private industry that they consider to be counterintuitive to their intended goal. So, for instance, they won't accept any donations from like arms companies, uh, extraction companies, big tobacco, or pharmacare, which is true. They don't okay. accept anything from that. However, <laughs> They do accept donations from private citizens and private philanthropic organizations. Yes, that's what I was wondering. We know are also usually just kind of either shell corporations or fronts for them to pour money in. So yeah, they received. It's, it's a shadier uh, version of lobbying, right? 100%. So they had more than 7 million donations worth a cumulative total of 1.9 billion euros or about $2.7 billion Canadian, which accounted for 97.2% of their operational budget. But a lot of that is coming from these private philanthropic foundations and even some other private corporations. So to say that they are an independent organization is pretty laughable. And yes, I understand you need money to do what the mission statement says. But the fact that you can make this big display about not accepting it from companies you know that are evil, but then accepting it from (laughs) essentially the same donors just under a different name is uh, concerning. And Megan, I want you, you and Chance, go wild about this, and then I'm going to tell you how this ties into the last little thing I've highlighted. (laughs) Okay, so I I will say, like, the not taking money from companies they disagree with is commendable, obviously. Like, I've been to conferences for where a major topic of the conference was climate change and it's funded by an oil company and you're like hmm okay queens Queens has a oh queens Queens has like the the track record of that yeah well yeah queens has that energy conference where it's just fully like inviting oil tycoons to come in and like propaganda to like 12 year olds but anyway yeah um, i've been to a couple of those those are deranged (laughs) yeah um so that that's one thing but like basically my issue with NGOs is that, so I've mentioned this issue with Tide Aid for governments, which governments funding like development work is not very effective, but it also like at least you're somewhat accountable sort of to the public if the public like chooses to look into it and get mad at you. Where where most of um, development work now seems to come from is just we've let billionaires like decide where all the money on the earth gets allocated. And like so many people see this as such a good system, like, oh, you know, Bezos has like so much money and he's giving it all to like philanthropic causes. And it's like, why is he this one guy allowed to decide what organizations live and die with like a wave of his hand? But also there's so much in Tide Aid with those kinds of work anyway, like that those people that have that much money and have those philanthropic organizations got it from hedge funds. They got it from oil companies like they they are rich because of a specific reason that like underprivileged most of the world and they are not going to lose those morals when they're giving you money and now it's like instead of even being remotely accountable we just have like the 10 richest people on earth like moving money around to their will and so i feel like taking philanthropic donations is the same thing as taking it or even worse than taking it from from governments and companies (laughs) like it's literally like the least accountable option possible i don't know and and the problem too with like the fact that so much of it is private sector donations like governments don't like they don't 
donate to NGOs because they're supposed to be doing it themselves through their own organizations. And NGO, by definition, is a non-government organization. But constantly like grubbing for money from capitalists means that like NGOs are always, um, I think it's it's just called mission drift, um, mm-hmm. where they will constantly be moving towards a more capitalist model or moving right or um, moving towards things that would entice capitalist investors because you're not going to survive as an organization by being like, we're going to redistribute all the wealth in this country. Like, okay, good luck. Like, who's going to donate to you? So the fact that like, if you are reliant on especially private donations from from wealthy people, like you're going to be at such a risk of mission drift that like you, you're you honestly going to be doing nothing very helpful by the end, especially. And that's like why there's so little focus on systemic issues in so many of these organizations and on remaining neutral, because everyone can be like, yeah, doctors are good. Like we should help people. We should fix cataracts. We should like, you know, give vaccines out like that's all good. But you're never going to like <laughs> you're going to be stuck in this loop forever by by asking for these donations but then also like what is the alternative you know like under capitalism there isn't really another way to fund like these organizations unless the government just agrees to take on all this work which they don't do it super well either so yeah yeah i was gonna say the 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 hypocritical nature of it right of having to accept this money in order to uh fund good deeds that are almost always caused by the exploitation of the people in the area in order to get more money, right? Like, it's such a... Uh, it's cyclical, right? Mm-hmm. Like, wars don't just happen. Um, a lot of the time, there's tons and tons of money involved. Mm-hmm. And, and the people oil. that... <laughs> and oil. And, and the people that... Yeah, and money as in, like, you know, uh, landmass, like, uh, extraction, like, resource extraction, anything. Um or, or even arms manufacturing, like there's tons of money involved. So the people that are able to donate to these things, especially in high quantities, such as like philanthropic donors and stuff like that, like Megan said, like they made their money from somewhere and it isn't just because like they pulled up their bootstraps and like they have a salary job. Mm-hmm. Like they invested in these companies at some point in time. It is the same blood money that is causing these issues that need to be fixed. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's why it seems like it's an effort in vain because you're like, well, it's, it's cyclical in nature. People make money off of these wars and people have to come in and help them. So you give some of that money to the people that help. uh, And then you get to keep making more money off of wars and so on and so forth. Um, And it, 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 like I said, it seems completely in vain, but then the alternative is, is, is what like the, you're not gonna expect fucking what's his name, <laughs> the guy who made the thing, uh, Bernard Cockner. You're not gonna expect him to be like, okay, so yeah, we need to like dismantle the whole system that we have right yeah. now because what it's doing is it's causing, uh, you know, these injuries are happening because people are making money and because of these wars are happening, uh, and and all this money is involved. So we need to just like tear down. He even began his political career as a, a member of the French Communist Party, and yeah. he turned into the head of fucking uh, like the whatever the Liberal Party is in um, in France, and also all of this stuff regarding Doctors Without Borders, like this huge organization. Um, it, it becomes this thing where, like like uh, Megan said, it's. What, what are they supposed to do? But at the same time, you can tell that it's hypocritical in what they're doing. Yeah, I But find, then the alternative is nobody doing anything. Yeah. I, I find it so interesting when a lot of NGOs just act like these crisis 
like crises happen out of thin air they're like oh no yeah. a civil war <laughs> who could have <laughs> right, predicted right. this it's like especially what? consider that this group started as a french initiative yeah. in the nigerian civil war wow i wonder who caused the nigerian civil war guys i wonder yeah, which country yeah, yeah. fucked nigeria up yeah it, it's it's pretty crazy right um but then again you're you're sitting here and like the doomerism happens and you're like yeah mm-hmm. the alternative is a group what that they 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 don't take any money and therefore they don't have enough resources to help injured people mm-hmm. in very thing. destitute areas. Exactly. It's easy for us to say this, but I'm sure if you ask somebody like on the ground in like Vietnam or in Cambodia or fuck Ethiopia, like, hey, what do you think of the Doctors Without Borders? And they're like, well, they did save my life. Yeah, they did let me live. Legitimately give us access to clean drinking water. It's like, it's one thing for, and that's part of the issue I have, where it's like from an ideological standpoint, and even from like a rational standpoint, it's like, yeah, a lot of what they do is based on like horrible shit, and it is a symptom of a larger issue and not really addressing it. But at the same time, they're also doing more to improve the lives of people on the ground in the global south and in the underserved parts of the world than I am by sitting here talking about it. No, yeah. It should, I think it's a... Oh, sorry. I was going to say, I just think it's an affect of uh, hyper-leftist uh, critique in that we always feel like there isn't enough done in the grand scheme of things. I was reading this little post and I was like, you know, you got these people that are on uh, Twitter that are like begging for the system to be burned down when it's like you got other people that are like setting up needle swaps up the street. Mm -hmm. And it's like, what is wrong with those people doing the small steps? Like there's, there's nothing wrong with that. And if anything, it's better in the long run because you're moving towards a better future, even if it doesn't tackle everything at once. Well, I think the issue with it, like the short sightedness is uh, kind of, uh, or us seeing things as being short-sighted is kind of a symptom of being hypercritical of I, everything. I do also... Which isn't a problem, but it's just how it is. I do want to say, though, that, like, this isn't, like, critique of NGOs isn't just, like, a leftist thing. Like, this was my literal no, entire no. program. Like, lots of people are critical of NGOs and I think it's really important to be critical of NGOs because they command so much money and they they act in our public consciousness as like basically this like um like reason that capitalism is working and reason that we can continue to do what we do because oh look capitalism produces these NGOs that does this really good work so I I think like and I also feel like the whole like creating like a needle swap thing versus like that like community level work is amazing. I feel like this thing, like definitely Doctors Without Borders should not be immune from from criticism because they are so large and they really do like control a lot of money. They control a lot of resources and they do sort of act as though like everything's okay because they exist. So I'm definitely, they've saved many people's lives. And like, I, again, we we can go back to like, they've done this positive work, but I, I think it's really important to be critical of them. And also my, my solution point here, I'm going to say is that, you know, the French government should just have to pay for anybody in Nigeria that wants to become a doctor. Be like, so <laughs> yeah. many, 
like Careful, Canada man. should be paying for remember, so many just be, bills of other countries like that. We should just have to foot that. Remember, it should be public rather than a private. France did coup the Haitian prime minister who asked them to pay reparations. So oh, keep that in mind. Speaking of, I want to talk about this myth of being politically neutral. So there's another great article. And by great, I mean, this article is written by a guy whose name is literally Guy Gugliotta. <laughs> yeah. And it's in, this it's sounds in, like a fucking Dean article. Of all places, <laughs> Smithsonian Magazine, which I had never heard of. That seems like something you would get at the Smithsonian and oh, like I, throw I, in I, the trash. There's cool scientific articles in there. That's a cool okay. magazine. So this one is talking about Doctors Without Borders, and it was written in 2013, and they're talking about all the work the group has done in the 40 years prior, and uh, <laughs> one of the things they highlighted is, uh, I just want to read this, this excerpt to you, because it tells you a lot about who wrote this, and then the following quote tells you a lot about what this organization really does. At first, the choices were fairly easy, because 90% of the world's displaced people were fleeing militant socialist governments. Mm. Relief groups during the Cold oh, War no. shared the same ideological agenda as Western democracies in which they were based. Citation needed. I don't think the people that were fleeing Nicaragua were fleeing the socialist revolutionaries. They, they uh, might be talking about the Khmer Rouge, but don't that's literally consider it. them a fucking socialist government. No. Who else could let's also remember most of the quote unquote socialist governments were overthrown by the United States and replaced with fascist dictatorships mm -hmm. like in Chile, Brazil, Argentina, Guatemala, Indonesia. The list goes on and on. So I immediately saw that and went, I don't know about that, guys. And then the following quote which came from Fabrice Weissman, then the research director for Doctors Without Borders. When the Soviet Union fell, it was seen as a fantastic opportunity to crusade for human rights. But then crusade. politics. Okay. That's right. Aid came to be considered not as humanitarian relief, but to serve a political agenda in nation building projects. Oh, my God. They're just and then saying he, it. That's he cool. finishes off by saying <laughs> one side thinks of you as leftist hippies, while the other thinks of you as colonial imperialists. They then go on to talk about how in 2004, uh, and this was something I actually remember hearing at the time, five Doctors Without Borders aid workers were murdered, quote, ostensibly by the Taliban, hmm, and that the killers had been identified, but the government did nothing to prosecute them. In 2004, the U.S. government was basically <laughs> in control of Afghanistan, so I don't know what they're talking yeah. about here. But uh, yeah, so Fred Fabrice Weissman just outright saying that aid is part of a nation building project and that in the fall of the Soviet Union, the goal then became to rebuild things in a Western image is mm. just giving yeah. the game away. Mm -hmm. and yeah, I was to, to civilize shocked. the savages out there who don't know yeah. how to handle themselves. I couldn't believe that he just, mind you, he said this in the Smithsonian Magazine, the magazine you only get in a museum that nobody cares about and you throw in the trash on your way out. But I was, I was shocked by reading this. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, he just, he'd it's never say that part nowadays. Out loud. Yeah, you'd never say this nowadays. So I think Wild. that is very telling. And oh, and as like a little, little additional note, the most recent controversy involving Doctors Without Borders is actually related to the Hong Kong protests where they went into yeah. China and said, no, the quality of medical care here is too high and then just left. <laughs> so they weren't helping like any like the protesters being, you know, shot at. <laughs> They're just like, "Nah, you guys are good. Like there's this like weird 
hardline xenophobia, which I think reflects the donation base that is providing them with the money. And they're just like, now nah, we're out of here. And everybody was even like, think it's, what the fuck? It might not even necessarily be uh, xenophobia. It might more so be that they see China as more of a developed country. You know what I mean? Like uh, as a as a. I don't know. Maybe maybe they see the idea of, you know, we've talked about the term the global south as like uh, third world and and things like that. Uh, Maybe they see China as like, oh, they're doing good for themselves. So, like, why bother? Why did they go in the humanitarian crisis? Why did they go? They're thinking about when they used to be poor and they forgot that. (laughs) They're like, hey, Mao happened. Where where are the opium dens? We gave them so much opium. What the fuck? So, you guys had an industrial revolution? Yeah, they, they really, they have like a map from like 13th era, 13th century <laughs> yeah. era China. And they're like, ah, we're, we're, we're going to go and liberate the peasants. Wait a minute. Yeah, because I think, I think on one hand that there's got to be some form of that, right? Like of, of who gets the relief. Yeah. There's got to be like a tier list. I just like it was interesting. Who deserves it. They went into China because we all know like the, the new Cold War is the West and China. And I just thought the timing and the fact that they went in and then were like, nah, we're leaving was uh, was quite interesting. Also, coincidentally, all this happened around the time LeBron James made his comments about China that got the NBA all upset. So. So it was LeBron James the whole time. I am indeed thinking that LeBron James is actually donating 100% of the funds to (laughs) Doctors Without Borders, and he is controlling them. But, of course, final thing on this, we all know that this organization is but a hollow shell of my organization, Uncles Without Nephews. Oh, okay. (laughs) Which I actually kicked that off before they started, right? That's right. So I was born in 1953. People don't know this about me. (laughs) But Uh, you're still 13. I'm 13 years old, yes. But I was born in 1953. (laughs) It's it's kind of like a picture of Dorian Gray situation. And uh, Uh. I... (laughs) I realized that there were countless young men across the world who just didn't have access to uncle services. You didn't have someone who would walk up next to you while you're sitting on the couch and then, like, as you're kind of at ass level, put their ass in your face and fart on you and then leave the room. Yeah. We didn't have someone. You didn't have someone calling you gay at every family dinner you've ever <laughs> yeah. had in your life. That's right. You don't. You didn't have someone saying, whoa, he's up a minute there, jugs, when you're slightly chubby. <laughs> we didn't have someone. Hey, well, you guys haven't been a girl with an uncle because they literally ask you 45 times a minute if you have a boyfriend. So. I was literally just about to say that. They they haven't tried to police the sex lives. So well, fuck daughter. you, Megan. I, my uncle asked me 45 times a minute if I had a boyfriend. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I, my, my goal was to go into some of the underserved areas, not just in the global south, though. We really did truly have a, a global reach. And yeah, uh, provide an uncle for you know, young men to lean on. And it was inspired by the uh, the Roman system, you know? And oh, no. uh, I got in no. I got in with this very rich guy, uh, this New York kind of financial <laughs> financial uh-huh. broker. And he was like, no. yeah, this sounds <laughs> okay. dope, man. All so right. We met on okay. this guy, Robert's boat. And Robert is big in Israel, you know? He had a, he had okay, a daughter babe. who <laughs> had some great connections. And we've, we've really just spread it around the world. I, I think we're good. Yeah. <laughs> I think you, we're gonna... you walk into a Nambla anywhere... In, I think, in the the greater North American area, you're going to see a picture of me on the wall as as the founder. <laughs> and I, uh, I know you you haven't uh, announced this yet, but uh, didn't you actually just secure a really big deal with Wayfair? 
That's right. So <laughs> okay. we, we have been offering right. a wide range of affordable, terrible interior decorating. Oh, okay. So you can sort of make like an uncle cave. That's right. You can, and you, what, what does an uncle ca- cave need but several nephews? That's, that makes sense okay. to me. I yeah. think. All right. Thank okay. you, though. Okay. Yeah, no problem. So uh, <laughs> if you want to, if you want to hear more about it, we're actually, we actually did get full like support from the American healthcare system. In fact, Dr. Fauci had a landmark ruling. So if you want to hear more, Google Dr. Fauci rule 34 and, uh, <laughs> You'll see everything you need to know about uncles without nephews and uh, yeah, if you our wanna, subsidiary, if you wanna, Doctors Without Borders. Yeah. If you want to learn more, look up Dr. Fauci uh, dogs. Yeah. And that's what we call the nephews, actually. Yeah, there, there are dogs. Where's, where, where are my dogs at? We're big DMX fans. Dogman Extreme. That's also Dr. Fauci's name. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, folks, I've got an op-ed for you. It's from the National Post again, the gift that keeps on giving. That's right. Uh, this is uh, Rupa Subramanya uh, with her new piece. Uh, I couldn't find that much information on her. Uh, she's some researcher. She's got a degree from Carleton in economics. Um, seems mm-hmm. like a pretty depraved sicko. Uh, and has, <laughs> Just for uh, that alone. Well, uh, we'll get into it, but uh, her she's got like terrible, uh, I don't even, like soccer mom hair from like 2004. She needs to work on herself. But now uh, that I'm done criticizing a woman based on her appearance, mm-hmm. we can get into criticizing her based on her ideas. Okay. Uh, so this is- I'm going to keep criticizing her appearance just for the record. Yeah, no, if you could okay. keep, going, keep that ball <laughs> okay. rolling for me, that Excellent. would be great. Excellent, thank you. Uh, so new piece, uh, which was published on Remembrance Day- uh, this is remembering uh, day remembering day pardon me okay thank you uh, now I know what you mean Canada's flag and anthem are under regular attack by the progressive <laughs> okay. left All right. oh cool right okay <laughs> so this is like some wishful thinking on our part really like this is like a classic uh, article where it's like conservative is accidentally based uh, because they <laughs> they have constructed a fantasy world which is the world that we wish that we lived in mm-hmm This article, uh, despite sounding very stupid, I think contains multitudes. So we'll just jump into it. Um, She uh, begins, Finally, after more than five months at half-mast, the Canadian flag is once again flying high. Okay. Finally. Yeah, finally. finally. Oh, no. I wonder what it was down for. Oh, my God. Well, it's it's funny. She doesn't mention it in the entire article, what Mm -hmm. it was down for. That makes me so sad. Jesus yeah, Christ. like I, I've been counting down the days. I don't know about you guys, but uh, the <laughs> the flag was restored to its traditional dignity just in time for Remembrance Day when it was lowered by, 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 by convention, whatever. And then she says, hopefully it will uh, remain flying high for some time to come. Um, hmm. You, well, we'll, as we'll long hit as it we again. don't do Genocide 3, maybe <laughs> it will stay. Uh, 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 discover Genocide 3. <laughs> yes. We're way more than that at this point. Yeah, uh, she, we'll hit it again, but she keeps coming back to this word dignity regarding the flag, uh, which like doesn't like it seems like it means nothing, at least to me. Like I'm, yeah, did you have trouble is like a non-word? Yeah, did you have trouble like meeting your kid's gaze because the flag was at half mast? Like was <laughs> I was like, embarrassed? Yeah, like could you like not be seen in public because you just like couldn't bear the fact that your country 
uh, you know, not, again, anything that the country did or its history or any reason why the flag was at the half-mast, but just the fact that you weren't as, like, psychotically nationalistic and proud as you wish you could be all the time. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so that's strike one. Uh, progressive leftists uh, are attacking the flag uh, because uh, who knows? It just they they made it go at half mask because they hate us. Uh, what else have they done recently? Well, uh, turns out that there is one person, a Lily Miller, uh, who is on the Ottawa District School Board's Indigenous Invi- Advisory Council, who uh, made a statement saying that uh, she believes that students shouldn't have to stand and sing the national anthem. Uh, the school board says Please. that they will not do anything about this. So it doesn't seem like anything uh, is actually going to come of that. Uh, but um, this is nonetheless uh, that one person saying one thing uh, represents the progressive ale- left attacking the national anthem. <laughs> yeah, one person has a good yeah. opinion, and she's one. Like, oh yeah, my one God, one person said the right failing. idea, and th- and then nothing came of it. Yeah, <laughs> and then that's an attack. <laughs> oh. uh, but uh, you know, you got it. You got to write about something every week, I guess, right? <laughs> uh, so uh, if you look behind both of these uh, incidents, the implicit message is that Canada as a nation is fundamentally illegitimate because of the original sins that go back to confederation, whether racism or patriarchy or any number of possible reasons. Again, correct. You're right. Thank you. <laughs> but I think it's weird because like she continues with the article after this sentence, which is strange. But anyway, we can dive deeper and you guys feel free to jump in whenever you want. Um, yeah, She uh, goes on to talk about uh, even uh, before these recent assaults uh, on our on our beautiful symbols of flag and song, uh, the national identity of this country is remarkably brittle and shallow, which is also another thing that I agree with. Yeah, uh, be, like also it's a pretty relatively recent country and it, it was fake. So I wonder yeah. why it's like so hard to be nationalistic about it. Yeah. And like uh, she's like, oh, like America is also a young country, but like they fought a revolutionary war and we were just like some guys like we were created with a stroke of a pen, which I like. Yeah, cuts to the quick of like why no one has pride or cares about this country Uh, is like, hey, we don't have a good story. Uh, And that's the story that we do have is. Uh, some guys like wrote a contract with Hudson's Bay Company and uh, the British government. Dean, you see, it's not fair. We didn't get to actually declare an open war on our indigenous people like the Americans did. We only that's did it true. in secret. Yeah, so, that's what she's saying. I, I feel like it's also just you know how everyone always complains about how Canada's identity is just being different than America, but sort of like America. But that's sort of how it started, too. Like, the only yeah. reason we became, like, a nation was because they were doing stuff we didn't like. And we said, no, no, we're going to go over here and do almost the same thing, but not quite. No, that's that's exactly it. And, like, why, like, whenever you see uh, these, uh, you know, r- right-wing folks who are really big into nationalism uh, and racism, uh, and, uh, whatever sort of ism you want to throw at them. Uh, they're always flying the Confederate flag. They're flying the, the blue, like the thin blue line sometimes, sometimes over the Canadian flag, but most of the time they'll just fly the American one because they have to borrow like this jingoism from America. Cause there's just like nothing to like hold on to mm. here. Uh, 
It's it's ridiculous. Um, and then she says uh, another crucial difference uh, about the founding of this country is that it was it wasn't a bloody conflict, but a compromise between the French and the English. Mm. Uh, oh my god! What are you talking about? Also, I that's like not even that's just true. Wrong. There was, they literally okay, fought a war. Yeah, like <laughs> the blood of like like the genocide that Canada did do, but also like they literally fought a war with the French. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Like, uh, well, she says, like, the the problem is that, like, because we have the these two different groups, uh, that has led to uh, oh, a, a culture that's not united. Oh, this is Quebec's so Because we, <laughs> we didn't, like, erase the French from <laughs> yeah. humanity. Yeah. Because, like, and again, America famously oh just God. had one culture. Uh, yeah, I also... Well, I also... To, to be fair, they they were one like national language culture because they they were just like oh if you're not white we but are going Spanish to destroy you. Spanish speaking people have always lived in the U S. Like they were yes, there too. But, and they Germans and Irish. And- yeah, but they didn't have like an entire like state enclave like Quebec has as like a, a French enclave. I think yeah. is what she's saying. But like uh, the best part is the lack of bloodshed though because like the. Uh, <laughs> The way you can look at it, right, is that she's retconning history or what she's doing is what she's been doing this whole entire article, which is just completely ignoring anything to do with uh, indigenous people's efforts regarding Canada. Mm -hmm. And like the war between the French and the English was actually really fought mostly between the uh, Haudenosaunee uh, and the Huron. Um, and so that was where most of the blood was shed. So she's like, no, nah, it was, it was like bloodless. Like they, they were just talking as they were like sending out brown people pawns to fight their battles for them. I didn't even know that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. 100%. That was, that was the, uh, allegiances there, uh, was the, the French decided to take up the Huron and the, uh, the English decided to take up the Haudenosaunee. And that's why Mohawk is a slur. It actually comes from how the Huron called us uh, black snakes with forked tongues. And uh, that's Mohawk is a Huron word. And it's a racial slur towards the Ganyahaga people. Wow. So, but she would know that if she took two seconds. Well, (laughs) in fairness, uh, she does, uh, you know, actually say that there, there has been conflict uh, she just only refers to the separatist movement of Quebec a century later. <laughs> oh, uh, a- after nice. the sound. sorry, but like I'm, this silent revolution era stuff. Like, <laughs> sorry, I'm reading. I'm reading the comments, and there is some extreme racism going on. <laughs> oh no. And, an Indian turning off Facebook would help. But an Indian-based <laughs> economist discussing our flag and anthem. Rather, triple parentheses, humorous. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Damn. All right. <laughs> I, I, I love saying that about someone who agrees with you 100% yeah, on everything yeah. you believe. Everything yeah. that you fucking say. Yeah. But um, so you, you see this, this sort of like regionalism and like, oh, the French want their own thing and the English want their own thing. And even more recently, you can see this with Western alienation as the Trudeau government uh, penalizes the oil and gas industry, uh, which are the economic mainstays of the West. Oh, my God. OK, so she's literally listing all the reasons why no one likes Canada and no one wants to be patriotic or give a fuck. But then is just saying 
we should do it anyway, even though we all hate each other and every part has a yeah. different opinion. Well, like, why I, I would think we do it then? In order for any piece to get published <laughs> in the National Post, you have to hit Trudeau on being too hard on oil and gas. I guess so. So is, we can't blame her for putting that one in there. It is already too late. Canada is country in name only. All that now remains is the invasion of foreign soldiers and the slavery of her citizens. Says right. uh, a man <laughs> whose name is Rudolph von Gallen. Mm. Oh, we can <laughs> oh, trust this him. Is a comment. Okay. <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah. Well, right. well. yeah. Says a man who has been going to the same <laughs> Tim Hortons uh, with nothing changing in his life whatsoever every day for fifty years. Phaedrus Cooper yeah, yeah. says the Chinese dragon is licking its chops. Oh, <laughs> what the fuck! <laughs> What I can't understand is why superior military power such as Iceland, Lower Slabovia, or Ghana, for example, hasn't yet been invaded. Oh. By what? What? What are you talking about? I don't know. That's Jack Frost, the snowman. We should just invade any country weaker than us. Lower Slabovia. I love Slabovia. That's my favorite country. (laughs) Leave them alone. Uh, the Slabovs. Wait, there, really is do. there even a country called Lower no. like Slovenia or something? Like what? No. What combination of words is that? Okay. I don't know, but you really so, should have to scroll all the way down to the bottom. These are wonderful. Uh, towards the end, uh, she talks about how like, oh, we we don't have a, a national narrative, and we don't have we have all these like regional identities that like chip away at our national our shared national identity. To which I say, like, based on what you've said, we don't we've never had one. No. Yeah. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's and she's like, oh, this is a, a really uh, interesting point here, which is uh, if you're at if you ask someone like, oh, what's the Canadian identity? They're like, oh, socialized medicine, multiculturalism and hockey. And then, quote, she says, can you imagine a Swede or a Norwegian defining their national identity in this way, even though they, too, have socialized medicine, are increasingly multicultural and are pretty good at hockey? Wait, don't they they do that? (laughs) That's how I see them. Exactly. But, she says, they also have a shared Nordic mythology that Uh permeates their language, (laughs) literature, and culture. we need to make up gods. Let's go. Well, not even that, like... uh, this is like completely deranged because like if you were to ask someone like, oh, like if uh, say I was a guy who is like really, really in to runes and North Miso- Norse mytho- uh, mythology yes. <laughs> uh, and things like this. What would you think I was? Would you think I was like a socialized medicine multicultural guy yeah, or a person. glowing eyed Nazi? <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. she's also it's also really funny that she uh, very, you know, aptly completely ignores the indigenous people that live in those fucking countries mm-hmm. um like they're there yeah the dumbass like they don't feel like they're part of those countries they don't feel like they're appropriately represented like there is divides in these countries you fucking weirdo yeah those countries are also very racist <laughs> so like no, well they're also very awesome. racist but like i'm i'm sorry but like this whole thing it is just like looking over a huge uh, I'm taking it personally. I need to. I need to calm down. She reminds me of that one guy who tagged the IDF and was like, "I like, I will work for the Israeli army for free. I am an Indian man, six feet tall." Like she's she's one of the cool, like extremely racist, like basically Nazi, like Indian people, and that's incredible. There's yeah, such I, a, I will work for the Canadian media. <laughs> that's right. I will it's give like, my life to you, sir. There was this post on Twitter. I want to say a month back where. Uh, 
it was like a picture of I think like a, a club in in New Delhi, and it was not a very nice comment. The guy's like, "Oh, you know, it smelled crazy in there." And then every single quote tweet after that was like people from like with geotags in India saying the n word, what? <laughs> and like posting pictures of swastikas, <laughs> and it's like that's the energy she gives me here. That's this lady. Allegedly. This is honestly one of my favorite op-eds we've ever read. This is very funny. Like, I don't know how she... so short. (laughs) She, yeah, like, she really, she runs the gambit here. Like, she covers all of her bases. But, you know, it's, we're at the end of the article. It's time to cap it off. Uh, She talks about how uh, it's time for us to reimagine our national identity around shared goals and values, uh, (laughs) despite the fact that we're regionally fractured and can't agree on anything. What those shared goals and values should be? Who knows? She doesn't have any, uh, anything to say about that. That's or for any us direction. to decide. That's right. Thank As you. As a group. Oh, my yeah. God. But, but she well, does I, end it off that says nationhood is more than symbolism, but symbols are super important. Uh, so we should yeah. not uh, lower that, that flag again. <laughs> Thank you very so, much. So Good night. I've looked into her a little bit. And she is like an enlightened centrist person. Yes. So not which are usually just like which is reactionaries. Ju- yeah, which is just a, a screaming banshee conservative who wants to uh you know have a Twitter account that doesn't get suspended. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But she she seems like she's pretty rational in general, but she tries to do this like agitprop style like journalism to piss people off on purpose like she talks about it before she's very self-aware of what she's doing and if anything that just makes me more mad yeah honestly i'm not even mad at this i'm like this woman is clearly a moron she has a traumatic brain injury she's got at the very least some kind of tumor so i'm not going to be angry with her yeah we shouldn't really make fun of her i don't know if she knows how to read Because, like, most of what she is saying is so easily disproved by doing literally, like, any research at all. It's like, yeah, this woman can't read. Uh, She was taught to write by some kind of algorithm. And uh, I don't think she exists. I really do think she's just, like, a national post, like, tube person. Yeah, I I can't. I won't forgive her for such a tantalizing headline, though, because she promised that the flag and the anthem were under regular attack. It turns out that that's just not true at all. Yeah, yes. she hasn't said anything. She clickbaited you. Yeah, no. I know. Lufa, I got owned. Lufa, do better. All her articles in the National Post are so funny. It's like seven in a row about how she's mad about um, quarantining when you have to fly from another country. So literally like 10 articles about that. That's cool. Why many yeah. immigrants are thanking Doug Ford. <laughs> okay, uh, well, government... making content, baby. I don't know. We can't get into that. We don't have enough time. Stringent COVID testing will do more harm than good. How government yeah. regulations are preventing Canadians from visiting their families on Christmas. Uh, oh, oh no. Good. Well, I think that about covers that. Truly uh, an international themed day today. Yeah. We uh, talked about everything. Grand Theft Auto, uncles and nephews, doctors that despise borders, and uh, this woman who despises anyone that is not, I guess, uh, like a colonialist? Yeah, really this woman who loves is. borders more than anything. That's, that's right. That's true. So that's uh, that's that, folks. That's that. Thank you for listening and bye-bye. Aw, that was so nice. <laughs>